Let me ask you, if you would, please, in the next few moments especially, not because of who's speaking, because I have nothing to say to you today apart from what God's Word says, but I want to encourage you to be respectful of those around us. If you happen to have to leave the auditorium, there's no concession stand to go to or nothing like that, but if you happen to leave, would you please not come all the way back in, sit in the back, let the ushers help you find a place to sit so you're not a distraction to others a lot of movement that'll be helpful for us this morning. Acts chapter number 28, we've had the joy to go through this book of the Bible. I've enjoyed it, and I'm thankful for it. Of course, the Lord Jesus is described in the four Gospels. Matthew, he's the king. Mark, he's the servant. And Luke, he's man. And John, he's God. And I'm glad for all of those witnesses in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus goes up to heaven. In chapter 2, the Spirit of Jesus and God comes down from heaven. And he doesn't just come and to inhabit the earth. He comes inside of people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you're here today and you have not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, uh, God wants to come in. He wants to come in, but you'll need to invite him. But when you get saved, when you accept Jesus, you get his Spirit. And he comes in and he never leaves you. So really, in your Bible, it says the acts of the apostles. It's really the acts of the Spirit of God in the lives of believers. Chapter 1, Jesus goes up. Chapter 2, his Spirit comes down. Chapter 3 and the following, uh, his people go out and begin telling people about Jesus Christ. That's how I got saved. Someone told me. You know how you got saved? Someone told you. And you're supposed to keep telling people. I'm supposed to be telling others about the Lord. And no one gets saved without someone helping them understand the gospel. And through the book of Acts, it's a wonderful narrative. In chapter 3, there's a crippled man that is healed. And from his life and the miracle that took place, over 5,000 more people heard and received Jesus as their Savior. It did bring about some persecution. And now some of the apostles and some of the leaders of the church have been arrested. But they get freed, they, they get beat up a little bit, but they get freed and challenged not to teach in any other name, or don't teach in the name of Jesus. And they said in Acts chapter 4, he said, there's not another name given among men whereby we must be saved. In chapter 5, God had to deal with his church. There were two people in particular who were lying to God and God's spirit and to the people. And they were lying, and, and God called them out on it, and they both paid the ultimate price. They went to heaven, but they, they died early because God dealt with them. Chapter 6, there were some problems, and that's where the leadership rose, and God used a problem and brought a solution and a help. Chapter 7, one of those deacons was murdered, the first martyr officially, which was Stephen. And his wife became a martyr, uh, his wife became a widow, his um, kids became orphan children. And that caused others of the deacons to have to leave Jerusalem. And Philip went up and lived in Samaria. And Samaria was a place they knew the Jewish police would not go. And so he went into Samaria, and that's where he went. He went into the hood, but it was all good in the hood, <laughs> because he told people about Jesus Christ. And a lot of those folks got saved. They came to know Christ their Savior, and matter of fact, they got baptized and began living for the Lord in a beautiful way. And then God called Philip to go from that great revival in Samaria out in the middle of the desert to meet one man who was going back home, an African man from Ethiopia. And that man needed someone to show him from the Bible how to be saved. 
And we have our first African who gets saved in the early church. He goes on his way rejoicing after he gets saved and gets baptized. By the way, if you've been saved, the next thing you need to do to obey the Lord is get baptized. It's sometimes it doesn't please everyone around us. But the person that's most happy when you get baptized is God. It's like whenever my wife is now being baptized, you don't have to get baptized to go to heaven. You get baptized because you are going to heaven. But it's your symbol. It's like getting married and you get a ring and you put a ring on your spouse's hand. And I like for Linda to wear her ring. Matter of fact, I'm the person on the planet that most likes her to wear that ring. You know why? It identifies me with our relationship together. And when we get baptized, we're saying, I'm with Jesus. I'm with him and I'm with his truth. And so that man got baptized. And then in chapter 9, the nemesis of the local church, Saul, he uh, was converted He hated Christ. He hated the things of God. and He was in a breakneck pace to try to exterminate Christianity until he met Christ himself, and it was no match. Christ won. He found out who he was, and he said, what can I do to be saved? He kind of falls off the pages for a few chapters, and Peter surfaces because God had a lot to teach Peter. Peter was prejudiced. Peter was concerned about Jews getting saved, but he didn't want anyone who's a Gentile to be saved. If he were going to get saved, he didn't want to have any part in it. And God had to teach him a few things. And he did teach him that in chapters 10 and 11. In chapter 12, uh, Paul, who has now spent 7 to 10 years away from uh, Jerusalem and from the area of Israel, now his friend Barnabas comes and picks him up and takes him to a church in Antioch. It's over 200 miles north of of Jerusalem, but that was a church that was interested in reaching the world with the gospel. He taught there for a short time, and then the Lord told him and Barnabas, his buddy, to go to the regions beyond and tell folks about Christ. Not just to be a witness in Antioch and Jerusalem, but to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, and that's what Paul did in chapter 13. He went on three missionary journeys. The first was the shortest, only about 1,400 miles. The middle one, the second, was the longest, 2,800 miles. And the third was the second longest. But he made his way all over the known world in Europe, in uh, Macedonia, in Athens, Greece. And, and he told people about Christ all through in Asia, gave them the gospel. And many people were, were saved and developed into the work of the Lord. Now... However, he comes back after his third missionary journey. He comes down to Jerusalem. He has brought with him seven men who had been saved. They were Gentile men, but they had been saved and and, uh, brought to Christ. And they were serving the Lord. And they all had money that was collected from their churches to give to the hurting saints there in Jerusalem. Paul probably thought, oh man, you're going to be glad to see me. But they weren't. We don't even know if they said thank you. But they brought the gifts and gave the testimonies, and, but he wasn't really respected. They even coerced him, or not coerced him, but advised that he, and he submitted to them to take a vow and go to the temple and make sure he didn't make a big spectacle of himself. And, but what happened, he got arrested. Or he, got, he got accosted by a mob and then arrested by the Roman government. God helped him and rescued him from his own people. Just like Jesus, he came into his own and his own received him not. Boy, Paul loved the Jewish people, but they didn't love him. They had a hard time with him. And he spent the next two years in a place called Caesarea. He was in the palace 
and the prison of the palace of, of Caesarea there. And he had three different kings and different leaders. He had a guy named Festus and another guy named Felix and another guy named Agrippa, all of which interviewed him and realized this guy was innocent. He didn't do anything worthy of being arrested and certainly not worthy of, of dying. But he stayed there two years, and he had a guy named Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts. Luke is a doctor. He's a physician. Paul had no doubt some physical challenges. Most believe it was with his eyes, but if you'd been beaten as many times he'd been beaten and left for shipwreck and all the things, he probably had scars. He was just one continuous scar. And he needed help. And God gave him help in a good friend named Luke. And Luke left his practice in Philippi, or maybe it was another place. I think Paul probably met him maybe again at the school of Tyrannus. But he, he just went with him and traveled with him and stayed with him. He did a lot of research while he was incarcerated there in Caesarea, we believe, and wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, the two longest books we have in our New Testament. And now Paul has been released from there. They make their way on a ship, and there's a terrible storm called Eurycliden, a typhoon that reaches in there in the month of October, and it just tears the ship apart. But God is gracious and allows not only Paul and his colleague Aristarchus and, and Luke to survive, but 273 other people that are on that ship all survive this terrible shipwreck. And they come onto this island, and he is being escorted by a centurion named Claudius. Claudius, is a, he's, he's in charge of delivering prisoners from the Middle East over to Rome. And that's his job. He's got other soldiers with him. He finally brings him. And last week we learned that after the shipwreck, they stayed three, three months on an island and then made their way up to Rome. They landed in a place called Patoli. I called it last week Pertillos and because I was hungry when I said that. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with Pertillos. In fact, as I studied this this week, I started drooling just thinking about it. But uh, when I first came here, Brother Garcia gave me a cake, chocolate cake from Pertillo's. And I don't know, eating that chocolate cake with a tall glass of milk might be just as close to heaven as West Virginia. I don't know. It's unbelievable. But nonetheless, it was Pertoli. They camped into the port, and then they made their way up on land. And Paul did get a reception. Three years prior, he had written the book of Romans. He had written to the Roman believers there. Aren't you glad you have the book of Romans? Well, they had already read it. They already read about the sin and the, and the salvation that came and the sanctification process and God's sovereignty regarding Israel and the service and beseeching themselves as brothers. Now the author of that book that was written just to them had landed on Italy. And when they heard about it, they did give him the reception. He didn't get the reception in Jerusalem, but he got the reception at Rome. And when he showed up, they were happy. They were happy, and they met him at the Appy Forum. And then the news went that he was still going that way, and, and a place called the Three Taverns. These are about, about 10 miles up the road toward Rome. More believers came. And the Bible says when Paul saw the brethren, he thanked God, and he took courage. By the way, when we see you in church, that's what we do. We thank God and we take courage. Those of you who are watching online, God bless you. But if you could be in church, get in here where we can thank God and take courage. 
and be faithful to the house of God. You come not just to be blessed, you come to be a blessing. Bring a good word, bring a smile on your face, bring a song in your heart, bring a note for someone, bring a gift for a a single mom or someone who's working through some difficult times. Find a way that you can come not just to be blessed, but come to be a blessing. And boy, when they saw the brethren, he said, Lord, thank you. I think I have courage to keep on going. This is an encouraging thing. The brother would come and leave 33 miles from Rome down to see me and be with me here at this stop on the Roman highway. But then he goes into Rome. And the Bible tells us that the centurion, I'm sure he just wipes his brow and says, finally, I can get rid of these prisoners. And after a shipwreck and bad decisions and difficult situations and miracles and three months on Malta and all this Roman highway, he finally turns it over to the jail and he says, all right, guys, here, fellow, these are all the guys. And then he says to the guy at the, at the warden at the jail, he says, look, I got one guy here. I just don't feel good about putting him in jail. He should not be in jail. He's as innocent as the day is long. They take all the other guys, put them in your jail. But this guy, is there any other way? Can we do something else, like a house arrest or something? So if he wants to rent his own house, he can do it. Paul and Luke probably stepped up and Aristarchus says, we'll rent it, We'll, we'll do that. I'll do it. We'll take care of that. And they rented a house near the prison. He didn't have to go to jail for two years in the jail cell. But he rented a house right there as somebody's money. I would think it's probably the Church of Philippi helped pay the rent. Other people who came and gave to him, they helped pay his rent. They helped buy paper because in that rented home was the book of Philippians. How many like the book of Philippians? In that rented home was the book of Ephesians. How many like the book of Ephesians? He begins to describe the armor of God, and what they did is they let him have his own home, and they put a Roman soldier right with him. And I think that's where he said, put on the whole armor of God, the helmet, the breastplate, the loins girded about with truth, the shoes shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and the sword of the Spirit, and the shield of faith. And I think the old soldier walked in every day and said, I'm tired of this helmet. And he put his old shield up against the wall and his sword, and Paul probably looked over there and wrote, using that thing he saw every day from his soldier that came and took care of him. God in his grace allowed the Apostle Paul. He wrote the book of Philemon, the book of Colossians, right there in that room. I'm glad for all those books of the Bible. But somebody paid the rent. That was missions givers. That was people who loved and cared. Just like Brother, Brother, Brother Spear said this morning, I can't, I can't believe. What five years has done with Brother Rexford coming to this place. When I came here, there was no grass. There was a tent and a building. Now look what all God is doing. And then it wasn't, and the work of God's not about buildings, bodies, and bucks. But he was saying, look at the people. Look at those people getting saved over under the tree. People coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's a beautiful thing that you want to be a part of. Every time we have a church service, you ought to do something to pray for missionaries, to give to missionaries, and ask God, Can I, should, should I go? Should you want me to go? Should you want my kids to go? Should you want my nephews and nieces, my grandkids, to go to the mission field? Lord, if you'll take them, that'll be wonderful. But let's make sure we give to that. Well, that soldier turned Paul over to that, to that uh, Roman guy. He said, yeah, we'll keep a guy there. And they let him stay there for two years. But he wasn't there but three days when Paul was his custom, cared deeply about the Jewish people. 
He said in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone to believe it, to the Jew first and also to the... One thing the Apostle Paul was through and through, he was Jewish. He had a love for the Jewish people. And uh, of all the people in the world that people hate, it's the Jewish people. It's because they're God's people and they're related to God. And uh, of all the names people curse, they don't curse other gods. They curse the God of the Bible, and they curse his son. And you've done it, and I've done it. When people get mad, they don't, they don't get mad. They don't say, oh, Adolf Hitler. No one says, A-D-A-H. No. No one says, ah, A. No, they say, G, Jesus Christ. God, and they damn his name. You know why? He's the real God. <laughs> You know why they get mad at the Jewish people? Because they're the real people of God. But Paul loved them. Three days after he got into his new house, he was given permission to receive guests. And so he called in the Jewish leaders that were in Rome. And he didn't know what they knew. He didn't know if they were going to, they didn't know if they were going to hate him or if they were going to listen to him. But he had an obligation. He would talk to them first. And then he would talk to other people. And that's the setting of our story. Acts chapter 28, let's look at verse 17, would you please? The Bible says, and it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people and the customs of our fathers, I haven't done anything that is wrong against the Jewish nation. Yet that I delivered a prisoner to Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. First of all, he says, I was falsely accused. He said, I've done nothing wrong against my people. Matter of fact, I love my people. I love the Jewish people. I love our forefathers. I was a tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I care about the Jewish people. And boy, he would know much more about it than even probably some of the chief Jews that he's talking to. He said, but first of all, I want you to know, I'm here because I was falsely accused. Would you look at verse 18? Who... When they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. And when the Jews spake against, against it, I was constrained to appeal to Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. He says, not only was I falsely accused, I was declared innocent. He said, you can talk to Festus, you can talk to Felix, you can talk to Agrippa, they all know. They ha I had my day in court, and they knew that I was falsely accused and I was declared innocent in their sight. But when they pushed me up against the wall, I had no choice. As a Roman citizen, it was either go back into the hands of people who were already predetermined to kill me or to appeal to Caesar. But not one time did I think bad of my nation, nor do I want to hurt my Jewish people. It's interesting what he's doing because they're, they're thinking. And he doesn't know what they know. And he doesn't know what's doing. By the way, the wisdom and discernment of God's people. We need to really think through things. You know, we're, we're in an, an age of amuse. That means no think. We want to play video games so we don't have to think. We want to go to amusement parks. We don't have to think. We want to be absorbed with sports. We don't have to think. Now, I'm right in the middle of that situation. Let me say, the psalmist said, while I was musing, the fire burned. One of the reasons why we don't have a burning heart for the Lord is because we don't think about the Lord. 
And I don't know if you are what you think, but I certainly think we ought to think about him. I think about the work of God. You ought to think about your Sunday school class. You ought to think about your bus route. You ought to think about the lost. You ought to think about the word of God. Hey, meditate therein. There's two good times to think about the Bible. Two times. Daytime and nighttime. <laughs> meditate on there day and night. Think about some things. The Apostle Paul had to think through some things. Let's look at verse number 20, can we please? And the Bible says, for this cause, therefore, I've called you to see you and to speak with you because of this, the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. By the way, the hope of Israel is the coming Messiah. And aren't you glad that's Jesus Christ? He said, the real reason I'm here is for the hope of Israel. I believe the Messiah has already come. How many believe with Apostle Paul that that's already happened too? How many have accepted the Messiah as your Savior? Amen. I have too, and I'm so grateful for that. Look at verse number 21. And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee. Now they speak back to him. They say, Hey, Paul, we don't know who you are. <laughs> and they didn't send any letters to us, to our synagogue, and tell them there's a dude coming up there and you need to... You need to know some bad things. They didn't send anything, negative or positive. He said, they, they said nothing about that. I don't know exactly why that happened, but I'm sure Paul said, good. That's good. I'm glad that the negativity didn't get to you. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Verse 22, he says, but we desire to hear thee what thou thinkest. He said, we do have an idea. We want to hear what you have to say. For it's concerning this sect, that means Christianity, that Jesus died, he was buried and rose again. He's the only way for salvation. We know that everywhere it is spoken what? Against. He said, now, he said, but we haven't heard about you, but you know what? We want to hear what's on your mind. Because everything we've heard about this Christianity, all we know is there are some people that really hate it. I mean, I just tell you that hasn't changed. There's, an, there's an, a, a, a politician that said, if we could get rid of this religious right group, we would have a good society. And he's from Nebraska, right in the middle of our country. If we could just get rid of the religious right, we could kill all the babies we want. It won't even matter. We can practice, we can practice sexual immorality with whomever and whatever, and no one's going to say anything. It's always these stick in the mud, these people that believe the Bible. These people that believe what the Bible is, they're the ones getting in our way. And you know, that is not changing. It won't change until Jesus comes. So just get used to it. Put on your big boy britches and understand you're going to be swimming up the stream when it comes to this world and its society. That hasn't changed. Well, let's look real quickly, if we can, the next verse. Verse number 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many... To him and to his lodging, that's the apartment that was being supported, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning until, wouldn't that be fun? We could just stay here all day. Some of you are not saying amen very loud there. That wasn't on your heart, was it? It's interesting here, the apostle Paul, they said, he, they said, we want to learn more about you. You know what? And he said, let's get an appointed day. And I think some, some those of you who are soul winners, you understand that some people need an appointment. 
Some people, you can witness to them right away, and other people, they need you to set a time where it's quiet, where you can go through the gospel of Christ. I think it's kind of interesting there. So on the appointed day, he brought them in to his own lodging. I'm sure Luke and Aristarchus got some snacks. It was kosher, but it was snacks. They got them all together, and uh, from morning to night, he taught them about Jesus. He showed them in, in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Law of Moses, he taught them about Jesus. He told them that Jesus was the Lamb of God that was going to take away the sin of the world. He taught them through the prophets. They already knew the nation of Israel, but he might have went every, every book and said, hey, look, in Genesis, he's the creator. In Exodus, he's the Lamb that brought about freedom out of Egypt and forgiveness of sin. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In, in Numbers, he's our sun by day, and he's our moon and our fire by night. And in, in, uh, in Deuteronomy, he's the great reminder. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord of hosts. He probably went through the whole Bible and told them all that Jesus was. And he began from the morning to night and told them all about Jesus. By the way, that's what the gospel is about. It's not about a church. Certainly not about a pastor. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about music. It's about Christ. And oh, how we ought to think about Jesus. We ought to love him. We ought to think about him. We ought to talk to him in prayer. We ought to talk about him to other brothers and sisters. And we ought to talk for him to people who do not know Jesus as their Savior. He tells them about Christ from morning to night. I want you to notice the rest of it. We've got to hasten. But look at verse 24 and read it out loud with me. You ready? And some... That's always the case. I, I'm grieved. Sometimes I can't believe people wouldn't believe in Jesus. Have you ever had someone, a hard head, that just won't believe? Maybe you're a hard head today. And you've heard it over and over again, but it's just, there's something, there's a barrier. But you know, whenever the gospel's preached, you're going to have people that will believe it, and some people who will not believe it. There's always the case. Jesus said like this, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that go there. And I wish I could tell you, everyone I've ever witnessed to, they get saved. That's not true. Some people witness to, they just say, you know, I'm not sure about that. I was witness someone recently, went through the whole gospel. I said, do you believe you're a sinner? He goes, oh, I know that. Do you believe the sinners deserve the lake of fire? He said, no, I'm not sure about that. I said, well, I can't help you beyond that. That's something you'll have to believe. Because some people believe and some people don't believe. I don't believe there's a hell. You don't have to believe there's a hell. Just God says there is. God doesn't mince his words. He says, in death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, that means if, you don't, if you're not born again, if you don't have your name in the book of life, you'll be cast into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 reminds us of the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable murderers and whoremongers and adulterers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You can choose to believe what you, what you want to believe. The Bible says the place of the lake of fire is a place where people are tormented day and night forever and ever. And by the way, if you're wondering if you should get saved or not, I wouldn't gamble on eternity. And the greatest mistake a man or woman can make is to go to hell over a mistake. But there is one sin that God not, cannot forgive, and that's the sin of unbelief. If you will not believe. Some believed, and some didn't believe. If you're here this morning, you're in that group, and you're not sure what group you're in. If you're not in the believing category, that's where you want to be. 
For by grace are we saved through faith. John chapter 3, verse 16. We heard this morning discipleship. You'll hear it again tonight at 5 o'clock if you go. Where the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth. If you're here this morning, you're not saved. Believe that only Jesus could save you. Believe it. I don't care what you've heard. Believe that Jesus is the Savior and only through him you can have eternal life. Don't find yourself in that unbelieving group. If you have already been saved, the just shall live by faith. You still have a responsibility to believe in God. The most important thing about you and I is what comes to our mind when we think about God. And that is, can I trust him? Can I believe in him? You know, some people don't give to the Lord because they don't trust God. They got their own finances. They're, they're going to make sure everything works out for their way. Some people don't forgive other people that have hurt them. They know they're supposed to forgive. God's told them that in their Holy Spirit. He tells us that in the Word of God, but they're, they're going to make sure that person pays. You know why? They don't trust God's vengeance. They don't trust God's ability to take care of that. When you forgive someone, you're relinquishing all amount of, of repercussion upon your enemy to the Lord. You know why people hold on to grudges? They don't trust God. They don't believe him. You know why people don't go soul winning? They don't trust God. They don't believe that that's what they're supposed to do. They don't know that God will help them, that he'll be with them. It's all about faith. It's faith that determines our eternal destiny. And it's faith in God after we're saved that determines our service and our faithfulness to God. That's why the Bible says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Some believed and some did not believe. I wonder what group you would be in this morning. I pray that God will help us as we think about this. The Apostle Paul witnessed to them. And then he will quote to them Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It's the same verses that Jesus quoted in each of the Gospels. He quoted it in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Uh, in Hebrews, he quotes it. In Romans chapter 11, verse number 8, he quotes the same passage of Scripture, how that God's people, he did everything he could do for them, and they still rejected him. He loved them so much, but they would not reciprocate that love and their faithfulness. And he quotes that passage of Scripture as they leave the house. And boy, they left and they had a lot to talk about. Some believed and some didn't believe. And the Bible says that Paul stayed there for two full years. Look at the last verse, would you please? Verse 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those which concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Nobody stopped him. And I don't think there's anything happening in the White House Washington, D.C., Indianapolis, Hammond, Indiana, that keeps me from obeying the Lord today and keeps me from having faith in Him. I hope you're in that same boat, that you're in the believer boat. Let's pray together. Can